Thank you, Ariana and Adam, for leading worship this morning. Weren't they great this morning? And we really appreciate them. It's cool seeing the father and daughter duo there uh, leading us in worship. Man, it's always good um, having Ariana with us when she's back from school. Uh, and uh, I'm sure that she's enjoying being with her family as well. So uh, I hope that everyone has had just an amazing Christmas season. I just want to tell you before we get into the message that uh, a couple days ago, sharing Christmas Eve service with you all was just definitely a highlight of my year for getting to uh, be the new pastor here at BCC, and I've been here since, uh, uh, since Easter. For those of you who are newer and you don't know any better, uh, I'm the new guy, uh, relatively new, and having all these firsts with our church family and it was just really cool. Just I believe God was glorified on our Christmas Eve service. And I hope that your family was touched and you guys were able to make some great memories and have your hearts and affections stirred for Jesus. And that was really our hope and our desire and our aim. And it's just great to get to celebrate that with our church family together. What I wanted to do with the end of this year's sermon is I wanted to wrap up our series on transformation. And as we think about what's coming, and as we think about this new year that we're going to embark on, I always like thinking about fresh starts. I like thinking about do-overs, and I like thinking about goals and things that I can accomplish, because it gives us a good benchmark to be able to assess and to be able to look back and also look forward. And so what I want us to do today is look at how living in light of eternity transforms us. So I want to talk a lot about eternity and I want to talk about how we need to prioritize eternity in our thoughts and in all of our plans that we may be making, all the changes that we may be discussing with our family or our spouses or our friends that we want to embark on and all these new things that we want to say, hey, I'm going to do better at this or I want to grow in this or I want to grow in that. I want us to start as a church and as families and as individuals serving the Lord, I want us to start with eternity in mind, because if we want to impact this world for the kingdom of God, we've got to be people who are living on purpose. Impacting eternity doesn't happen by accident. It's not something that all of a sudden one day we just are doing because we've gotten in a rhythm of being a Christian and now we're just impacting eternity and we're just starting to do it. No, if it happens, it's going to happen because we're intentional about it. And we do it on purpose, and it's a part of our heart and our mindset and our value system that we build our priorities and our goals and all the things that we're looking to achieve now and in the future around. It has to be something that we do on purpose. Living for a greater purpose happens on purpose. No one wins by accident when it comes to things that really matter. And I want us to make sure that we keep that heart and that mentality when we're looking forward to the future. We must be people that have our minds on heavenly things. And we need to ask ourselves this question. What impact will my life have on eternity? Or in other words, what am I doing with my life that God has given me that will echo throughout eternity? Let's go over and look at Judges chapter 1 got your Bible this morning, Judges, chapter 6 and verse 1, we're going to read through verse 16, 
give you guys a second. Judges 6. Verse 1, Scripture says this. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel, and because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up and attack them. They would encamp around them and devour the produce of their land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel, no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents and they would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted so they laid waste to the land as they came in. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian and the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. So it seems like every time Israel starts to get ahead and get their life back in order and get some sense of stability... In would come this group of people and just completely lay waste to everything that they'd tried to accomplish. And then now Israel's left to pick up the pieces. They try to rebuild again. And as soon as they get a little bit of momentum going, as soon as they get something happening in life, in come the Midianites. Scripture refers to them like locusts. I mean, they just came and devoured everything and left nothing of any uh, good behind. They took anything that they could and just completely plundered these people. Doesn't life feel like that sometimes? Like when you're reading that, you're like, man, I'm trying and I'm trying to like set these goals and I'm trying to set these, these things that are positive in my life. I'm trying to live for God. I'm trying to do these things. And it seems like every time that I just get a little bit of momentum in my life, here come the Midianites from the hills. And next thing you know, I feel like, oh, I'm starting all over again. Or, you know, I take one step forward and two steps back. It just feels so difficult and so challenging. This is where The Israelites are, so they cried out to God, and God hears them. Verse 7, when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet of Israel to the people of Israel, and he said to them, thus says the Lord, God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt, and I brought you out of the house of slavery, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians, and from the hand of all who oppressed you, and drove them out before you, and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord, your God, you shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed, obeyed my voice. Now, the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abezerite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? Where was his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. Wow. Here we read this story. The angel of the Lord comes to Gideon. He chooses like this guy who has already given himself the title of being the weakest 
in the weakest clan. And he's already making excuses when God comes to him and by sending this angel. And the angel of the Lord speaks to Gideon while Gideon is doing what? While he's threshing out this wheat in a wine press. You see, normally when you would thresh out wheat, you would do it on a threshing floor. And a threshing floor is something that would be in a higher elevated place so that the wind could come and blow away all the stuff you didn't want. You're trying to separate the good from the bad and the wind would come and carry away those pieces. And here he's actually threshing wheat inside of a wine press and a wine press was a hole in the ground. And he's doing this, scripture says, because he's actually afraid that the Midianites are going to hear that he's got some wheat and they're going to come out down from the mountains like they always have and they're going to just come and take it all away. So he's already afraid. He's in this hole in the ground and he's making work very difficult for himself because the work that he's doing is not very productive because he's not doing it where he should be doing it. Why? Because he's afraid. He's afraid of what's happened before. He's afraid of the mistakes that he's made before. He's afraid of all of the challenges that he's faced before. He's afraid of what's been stolen before. He's afraid of the, having a repeat of all of the things that, that have happened before. He's afraid of the past, and that fear is driving him to do something and actually make his life more difficult. And I think that as we look at our own lives, we can see that we will often make our own lives even more difficult simply because we are living in fear. And we're not trusting in God. And here God is making a promise to his people. He used a prophet to come and remind them of who he is and what he said. And how they need to trust in him. And now this angel is speaking to Gideon. And while he's in a place of fear, he calls him a mighty man of valor. And then, of course, Gideon immediately says, nope, you got the wrong guy. Don't you see? Obviously, I'm afraid. Don't you see? Obviously, I'm weak. Don't you see, obviously, I'm a failure. And I wonder, who told Gideon that he was the weakest in the clan? Or did he just accept that on his own? Did he just observe everyone else and just go, well, I guess I'm the weakest guy here? Or did someone tell him that? Like, where did he get that idea from? Because he's obviously someone who's living in fear. And he goes, oh, I'm just a part of the weakest group. I'm the weakest guy. Church, when you live afraid of what you will lose, you'll only hang on to the things that you can control. When you live in fear of what you're afraid you're going to lose, you'll only hold on to things that you feel that you can control. And so this is what Gideon's trying to do. He's trying to control the situation just so he can have enough for himself and his family. And so he's doing this task where it's very difficult to do this task. You see, when given opportunity to cause change in his situation, when the angel comes to him and speaks to him, I mean, come on, if an angel came to me and spoke to me, I would be like, like, oh my gosh, an angel is speaking to me. But instead, he immediately starts going, well, where was God? Wow. He immediately goes, well, where was God in the middle of all this stuff that we've been through before? Where was God? You're telling me I'm mighty? You're telling me I'm supposed to go in the might of the Lord? What are you talking about? Where has God been this entire time? I'm the weakest. I'm the smallest. I'm insignificant. He reverted back to the rhetoric that was given to him somewhere along the line that he accepted either from his family or he just observed and compared himself to other people and just deduced and surmised that this is who I am and he's taken this as a part of his identity. And now this has been driving his decisions. 
It's been dictating his current circumstance, and it was dictating his future. And God was trying to not only change Gideon's future, but he was trying to change the future of the entire nation. He was trying to change the course of an entire nation. But he needed someone to trust and to believe. So who handed you the script of negativity in life that perhaps you have been repeating? Who handed that to you? Where have you heard those things that have been coming out of your mouth that have been so negative, that have been so fear-driven, that have been the opposite of faith, the opposite of trusting in God, the opposite of the things that God has put on the inside of you, the things that he's called you to do, the things he's gifted you to do, the things he's created you to do? Where has that script come from? It's not true. It's not from God. We can know that because God here is speaking to Gideon, and he calls him something that he didn't see himself as. And why would he? Why would he, after all? Look at what I'm left with. Look at my current circumstance. Look at what I'm faced with. Look at the outcome. Look at where I'm at. I'm in a hole in the ground. Look at my clan. We're the weakest group, and I'm the weakest guy in that. Man, that sounds sad. Like somebody needs to play the world's smallest violin for this guy, right? Like, I'm in the weakest clan, and I'm like the weakest guy, right? But yet God still kept speaking to him. Sometimes our fear is driven by our insecurities that we have compared ourselves to other people. And I could imagine that Gideon's probably looking around and it seems like everyone else is doing better than he is. Does that ever happen where maybe you're struggling you're doubting, you may be full of fear, you may be trying to hang on to things and control things in your life and just hang on to barely what's, uh, what's happening around you and you're just trying to control people or control situations or just provide some sort of predictable outcome and all of this fear has just caused you just to get stuck in a place that you never really wanted to be and you look around and you go, well, everybody else is doing so well, what am I doing wrong? It seems that everyone else's marriages are just going extremely well and everyone else is just so in love. It seems everyone else's kids are just perfect, right? It seems that everyone else seems to just love their jobs. It seems everyone else seems to always have enough money to go and do whatever they want to do and just to, you know, be happy and live joyful lives because we're looking at everyone's lives from the outside and we're looking at what we see on social media. And we're looking at what people want us to see. And we're looking at people at their best. And we begin to take that snapshot of what we see around us. And we begin to compare ourselves to other people. And we just assume that they're so spiritual. We assume that they've just got it all together. We assume they, they probably never fight like my spouse and I do. They probably never, you know, deal with the challenges that we deal with. They probably don't struggle with the sins that I struggle with. They probably don't struggle with the thoughts I struggle with. Wow, they're so much better Christians than me. So what does it make me then try to do to respond? I'm trying to control the situation because I'm living in fear and I'm living out all these insecurities. So I put on a good front, don't I? Well, praise the Lord, brother. So good to see you today. Amen. Hallelujah. Woo, how you doing? I'm too blessed to be stressed, too anointed to be disappointed. I'm the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. Woo, come on, somebody. I'm just highly favored, blessed and highly favored. When on the inside, you're like, I, I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills. When on the inside, you're like, I don't know if our marriage is going to make it another month. When on the inside, you're like, I, I just don't know how I'm going to help my kids through this challenge they're going through, and I feel like I failed as a parent. 
But when you talk to somebody else, you got it all together. Why? Because you think they got it all together too. But you don't know what they're struggling with. You don't know the challenges they've been through. And even people who have learned some things and who do have some things in their lives um, under control and they've grown to, to be good stewards or managers of various things in their lives and, and they seem to have healthy outcomes and healthy fruit. You don't know what they had to go through to get to that point. You don't know what challenges they had to overcome and you just think you're the only one. And I think that's the enemy's biggest trick that he uses to trap us as Christians is this idea of comparison and feeling like we're the only ones who are dealing with what we're dealing with. That we're the only ones who are thinking what we're thinking. That we're the only ones who are feeling what we're feeling. And if the enemy can get us to feel like we're the only ones, then guess what we're never going to do? Go try to get help from anybody else. Because I don't want them to think that I'm a failure or that I'm this or that I'm that. And so because of that, we put up all these walls and we'll only get so deep and we'll only get so close in our relationships. We'll only be so vulnerable. We'll only be so transparent because we need to keep up the ruse. We need to keep up the image because what we're trying to do is control things. But why do we try to control things? Really, because we're afraid. Because we're afraid. And we feel that we have to control it because when you're afraid of what you're going to lose then you're going to hang on to things you feel you can control. And you're going to want to present yourself a certain way. All the while, you're hurting inside. All the while, you're not growing. All the while, you're not, you're not healing. All the while, you're not being the person that God has created and called you to be and designed you to be. Even though God was speaking to Gideon and saying, this is who I've called you to be. This is what I'm calling you to do. And it's not even going to be because you're so great. It's going to be because you just trust in me and I'm going to lead you through it. He was wanting Gideon to not trust in himself. He was wanting Gideon to actually trust in God more because what Gideon was really struggling with was trusting in the goodness of God because he had seen too much calamity. He had seen too much pain. He had seen too much struggle. And Gideon was struggling with trusting in the goodness of God. So it wasn't necessarily a self-help talk that he was getting it wasn't like, you know, the angel of Tony Robbins showed up, you know, and wanted to pump him up really good. That wasn't what this is. This was actually God's reaching out to Gideon to get him to once again see that God is for him, not against him. That God is on his side. That God is going to show up in big ways and do things that Gideon could have never done on his own. But that comparison trap will hinder us from trusting in God. It will hinder us from seeing what God is wanting us to do. It will hinder us from trusting that we can take that next step because we're so afraid of what we may lose. But listen, church, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. It is for us to live for the glory of God. So if I'm supposed to live into the glory of God, that means everything that I do has to be anchored and rooted and grounded in trusting him, trusting that he is enough, that he is sufficient. And if I trust him and my life reflects that I trust him, then it doesn't matter what other people may be doing or not doing. It doesn't matter what I can or can't control. I need to let those things go and say, God, not my will, but Lord, your will. I'm gonna read a few scriptures real quick. If you wanna keep up, we can have a race. First Corinthians chapter 10. And verse 31 says, so whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. 
that he says right there, Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, whatever you do, even eating or drinking, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Psalm 73, we're going to look at verse 24. I don't have these bookmarked, by the way, if you're like, I got you, 73, (laughs) 24. You guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Here the psalmist says, you'll guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you'll receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven? In other words, there's nothing more valuable than you, Lord. You are my strength. You are my heart. You are my portion. Lord, you are everything. And then Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3, probably one of my favorite verses in scripture, verse 23. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Whatever you do. So here he said, in eating and drinking in Corinthians. And then in Psalm, he said, my whole heart, everything is yours and for your glory. And then in Colossians, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Everything we do unto the glory of God, here's what it does, church. It echoes in eternity. Everything that we do for the glory of God echoes in eternity. God is in the things that you think are insignificant. God wants to work through you when you think that you're insignificant. Because guess what? We are. That's the beauty of it. Because God gets the glory when he works through the least of these. Amen? God gets the glory when he picks the guy who thinks he's the weakest guy from the weakest tribe, the weakest clan, and he says, you're going to do something great. And he's like, who, me? This is the pattern of God. This is the heart of God. We can read in scripture over and over again. The same idea is reiterated all throughout the scriptures. And we can see how God chooses the least likely of people to do things. Not because those people are so great. But because God wants to show how great he is. Because he's taking someone that no one would have picked. It's like the person you would have picked last to be on the basketball team gets picked first and everyone's scratching their heads. And you're like, what's going on here? That's the last person I would have picked. And God says, my value system is to pick that person first because that person is the one that I can use to do something great through. And when I do it, it's gonna blow everyone's mind, point their hearts, their attention towards me because they're gonna go, there's no way that guy could have done that. And God's going, exactly. That's the point. It's not that you can do it. It's that you can't do it. And God can. And God wants to use you and do things through you. That's why, get this, he gives us gifts to be able to serve him and to serve one another and then to serve the world. He gives us these gifts and these gifts, guess what? They're from him. That's why they're called gifts of the Holy Spirit. They're gifts that the Spirit gives us, so when we use them, we're doing things that we wouldn't naturally or couldn't physically do, or, or maybe that's not within our capacity. And people are like, I used to know that guy. There's no way he would do that. Exactly. That's the point. <laughs> Isn't it great? Because God gets the glory. So here's what we have to do. 
We have to exhale. We have to exhale and take the pressure off of ourselves to have to try to do everything in our own strength because if Gideon would have tried to fight the Midianites in his own strength, he would have failed. Because it wasn't because Gideon was like a power lifter and he was like a great MMA fighter and that's why God chose him. No, God chose him because God knew that his glory would be shown through choosing someone like Gideon. It's all about his glory. It's not for you and for me. It's for him. We just get to be a part of it. And he wants our lives to echo in eternity because when we live with that type of an eternal priority, everything we do echoes in eternity. God is in the wine press while you are threshing out wheat out of fear for what you may lose. God is in the midst of your insecurities and he wants you to be free to live for a greater purpose. I have to stop being afraid of what I'm going to lose and what living for God will cost me. My value in Christ must be greater than what I'm afraid to lose. My value of Christ must be greater. My submission to Christ must be greater than what I'm afraid I'm going to lose. Because if all I'm doing is sitting around thinking about what is this going to cost me? What am I gonna have to stop doing? What am I gonna have to give up? If that's where, what I'm thinking, if that's the first thing on my mind, then I'm not really valuing Christ. I'm not seeing the beauty of Christ and I'm not valuing him for who he is and how can I then live for the glory of God because I'm too worried about what I'm gonna lose and I'm trying to hang on to things and hang on to what I can control and God is trying to show me, no, I want you to trust me and live for my glory and that takes a heart change. That takes a mentality shift, a renewing of the mind. It takes me living with a different value system. It takes me understanding that it's God first, not where can I squeeze God in. It's not where can I squeeze a little Jesus in throughout the week and feel like I'm doing a good enough job. No, it's there's Jesus. And I'm serving him, I'm living for him, I'm living for the glory of God and everything that I do, I want it to echo in eternity. I have to stop living my life being afraid of what I'm going to lose. Go over to Philippians chapter three. And verse seven, I love that the Apostle Paul wrote this, and, and this should be the heart of every believer. He says, verse seven, chapter three of Philippians, whatever gain I had, listen to his heart here, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I counted everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered loss of all things and I counted them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, oh, we don't wanna talk about that, become like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Here Paul says, I wanna know him, I, wanna, I, I, I want to know him so well that I become like him 
in his death, that, that, that I'm dying to myself, that I may gain Christ, that I may live for Christ, that I may be alive in Christ. He says that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. I can share in his sufferings. You see, Paul said, I count it an honor to share in the sufferings of Christ. I count it an honor to say, Lord, I want to live for your glory. And if it means I go through something difficult, may the difficulties that I go through be for your glory. Lord, the challenges that I go through, may they be for your glory, God. Because, I'm, because I know that God is going to show his faithfulness. I know that God is going to deepen my, my trust because even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why? Because I know you're with me. And you show me that you're with me even through those dark seasons. And you comfort me. Even when my enemies are there, you're still doing things and preparing a table in the presence of my enemies. You're leading me. You're guiding me. You are enough. And I can be satisfied. And therefore, my life song reflects the glory of God because everything that I do, I understand I'm living with an eternal purpose. And I'm doing something that's bigger than me. And I'm living for something that's bigger than me. So it's bigger than just doing outreach projects. Those are great. I love outreach projects. It's bigger than just serving on Sunday morning at a church. I love serving on Sunday morning at a church. I think that that's great and those are wonderful things to do. But we have to get out of this compartmentalized mentality that the only thing that I do that impacts eternity has something to do with me serving in an outreach or doing something on Sunday morning at a church. No, it's the way we live our everyday lives. It's every day. Yes, it's in those things. And we should do those things, but it's in so much more. And we miss out on a lot of that because we're thinking so compartmentalized that I do my God stuff over here. And God's saying, no, I want you to trust in me with your whole heart, with your whole life. Be completely and fully devoted to me. To be completely immersed in Christ. To be completely consumed with Christ. That he is driving my decisions, my behaviors, my values. Everything is beginning to impact and echo in eternity because I'm living for the glory of God. You see, living with an eternal priority transforms us when we trust God by saying yes to greater eternal things and trusting that God will take care of the rest. This is our big idea today. That when we live with that eternal priority, it transforms us because we trust God. We're saying yes to greater eternal things. We're living with a different mindset. We're living with a different priority. The things that used to consume us don't consume us anymore. The things we used to get excited about don't excite us like they used to because now we're beginning to think in line with what will bring glory to God. And now what excites my heart is how can my life bring glory to God? How can my family bring glory to God? How can my marriage bring glory to God? How can the way that I treat my neighbors bring glory to God? How can the way that I work and the ethic in which I work at my job, how can I do that for the glory of God? How can I be a good manager, a good boss unto the glory of God? How can I interact with other people at the grocery store unto the glory of God? How can I even be a good patron at the restaurant unto the glory of God? Man, that would get somebody saved. Because sometimes we stink at being good patrons when we don't get our way, right? But what if, what if we as Christians decided that we were going to live unto the glory of God and that was our priority, 
And it changed the way that we thought about when we had a bad experience at a restaurant. What if it changed us? I mean, down to the core. Because anybody can just be nice on Sunday morning, praise the Lord, hallelujah. But how about when you got the wrong order or your drink hadn't been refilled? You're going to love people then? If you're living with eternity in mind, you will. Because you're not thinking the way you used to think. And sometimes that old way of thinking tries to creep back up. That old way of thinking, you want to get back into control mode. The old lies get whispered again. That old script gets whispered again. Right back in your ear. You're the weakest. You deserve this. You're entitled to this. And then all of a sudden you go, wait a minute. No, 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 that's not who I am. I, I'm not my own. I was bought with a price. I was bought with the precious blood of Jesus. I need to remind myself of who I am and whose I am. Amen? And then all of a sudden now I interact with people differently. I treat people differently. Not because I'm supposed to. Because we've all tried to follow the law. We've all tried to follow the rules and we've all failed. It's not about getting better at following the rules and following the law. It's about who I am completely changing to where now the greatest law, the greatest commandment is love the Lord thy God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. That's what Jesus said. All of that law could be wrapped up and summed up in those two things. Because now I'm living with a different priority. Now, eternity is at the forefront of my heart and my mind. And it changes me. Now I'm saying yes to greater eternal things. And it may not always be greater like what people think greater is. Because greater to us, especially in America, is bigger, right? Because that's like the anthem of America. Go big or go home, right? Bigger is better. That was always one of the challenges when I was a youth pastor, man. I, I was a youth pastor during the era of hype. That's what I'll call it. And everything you did, a service, a trip, an event, whatever you did in youth ministry during those days, the next time you did it, it had to be bigger and it had to be better. And you're always trying to outdo yourself. And can I tell you, it was exhausting. Pastor Barry survived that era. It was exhausting, wasn't it, brother? <laughs> it, because you're always trying to outperform yourself. You're always trying to outdo yourself. And it was so exhausting. But that's how we live our lives often. We just think it's gotta be bigger and better to be significant. And if it's not bigger and if it's not better, then it's not significant. If it wasn't at least as good as the last thing we did, then it's not significant. I'm not talking about saying yes to greater things by them being big, grandiose things. I'm talking about saying yes by the way that you treat your spouse and let that yes echo in eternity because now you're gonna love your wife like Christ loved the church and begin to learn what that means and actually live that out. That's gonna echo in eternity for the glory of God. It's in the little things. It's not in these huge, big things and these huge, big moments. Sure, God can move in those as well. But it's going to be more often than those day-to-day -day things that probably no one else sees and no one else even knows. It's going to be when you're alone and you have a choice to make. It's going to be when you're alone and you're tempted. And you can either go back to that old vice. You can either click on that website or look at that on your phone. You can watch that on television. You can... Give that money back that you were given that was a little over what you were supposed to get back. You can show up on time and do your job and do it well. You can make sure that you're not trying to cut corners. It's in all of these little things that make up our lives that we begin to live a life that echoes out eternity. 
because we're being led by the Spirit and we're living for the glory of God. And church, I believe that God is calling us to, to, to connect, to grow, and to serve, to impact every generation beyond our lifetime. I, want, I believe he wants us to connect with him and connect with one another and to continue to grow in who he's called us to be so that we can be serving unto the glory of God so that what we're doing and what we're investing in echoes beyond our lifetime. I don't know about you, but I want the faith that we leave behind to be stronger, amen? I want to see the faith that we hand to the next generation when all of us in this room may be long gone from this earth that it is stronger in those that we invested in, that what we did counted And it didn't only matter here, but it also impacted and echoed in eternity. And that there are people in heaven because of it, amen? That there are people who instead of being disconnected from God and living in eternity, separated from him in hell, now they're living with him because someone shared the gospel, because someone lived the gospel, because someone planted seed, because somebody watered that seed, because someone was found faithful, because someone decided it wasn't about me, because someone decided to trust God, because someone decided to say yes to greater things, because someone decided to value Jesus more than anything else. That's what I want our lives to be and what I want Bettendorf Christian Church to continue to grow in. You see, everything that echoes in eternity starts first as an opportunity. Everything that echoes in eternity, it starts first as an opportunity. And it's not always those big, huge things that are just always out there. Maybe, yeah, sure, I I love those things, those big, obvious things, but oftentimes it's in those little things. And so, what are you sowing in? What are you on purpose planning on investing in for this upcoming year? Maybe some some of you have got some some goals you've already been thinking about. Have you first started with how can I on purpose invest in eternal things? Have you first thought about how to prioritize kingdom living? What are some things that I can do or some things that our family can do that will deepen our trust in God? What are some things that I can do or our family can do that is actually going to influence and impact eternity by us either planting or watering those seeds that are sown by being good and faithful stewards? What are some things we can put into practice? Because everybody wants to think about, you know, we're gonna save money this next year. We're gonna lose weight this next year. We're gonna go on this trip this next year. And those are great, like nothing wrong with that, but how can those things be done unto the glory of God? Start first with that question. How can we make our lives count for the glory of God. So I wanna give you a few practical things because that's been one of the things that people have enjoyed about this series is at the end, I always give you some really practical things to do. So here's just a few things I want you to think about. The first thing is to sit down with your family or with a friend and write down a few things that you're gonna do to live in light of eternity. And then put that somewhere like prominent where you can see it regularly. Like, just write down a few things. Like, don't overwhelm yourself. You don't have to fix everything in one huge, giant meeting, Derek. You don't have to fix it all. <laughs> you don't have to fix it all. Just take bite sizes. Just take a few things and say, what are some things that we can invest in? What are some things that we can do to live in light of eternity? Uh, maybe it is some of those more obvious things, and that's okay. Start there. What I'm saying is start somewhere because opportunities are all around, amen? 
Start somewhere, serve locally, join a connection group, sponsor a child in need somewhere, you know, through a Christian organization. Pray together daily. Make like that's gonna be our thing as a family. We're gonna pray together every day and find a time and a rhythm that works. Read scripture every day as a family or maybe every Saturday morning together or, you know, Sunday after church, you're just going to get together and talk about the sermon and maybe revisit that. Uh, Go through the sermon study guides that we put out there for you. Just something. What's something we're going to do that's going to invest in echoing in eternity? What's something that we're going to do that we're going to grow in this next year? And we're going to be faithful with it. We're not going to fizzle out. We're not going to be, you know, New Year's resolution and New Year's regrets, Right? Like two, three weeks later, now what are some things that we want to we inject in the rhythm of our family's life? What are some things that I need to add into my rhythm? And how can I do what scripture says when Jesus said in Matthew 6 and 33, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? And then he said all these other things would be added unto you because if all we're sitting around thinking is what can we control and how can I just hang on to what I've got, then we're Gideon in a wine press threshing out wheat and God's saying, I'm calling you out. I'm calling you out because there's something else I'm wanting you to do and it's for the glory of God. I'm calling you out of your self-pity. I'm calling you out of your fear. I'm calling you out of your self-preservation. I'm calling you out of this bad script that you've been handed. I'm calling you out of your lack of trust in God. I'm calling you out of your bitterness towards God. I'm calling you out of your frustration. I'm calling you out of your hurt. I'm calling you out of your disappointment and I'm calling you into trusting God. And I pray that this next year, that as you're sitting down and having conversations, that you make eternity priority as you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And watch what God does in you, in your family, through you, and in this church family, and through this local community. Watch what God does. Watch what he does when we grow and make those type of decisions, putting his kingdom and his agenda first. Seek first the kingdom of God. Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? Lord, help us do this because... Man, we struggle. So God, we just ask that you would help us because we all need you. Every one of us. We're, we're weary, we're, we're frustrated, we're, um, we may be discouraged. Um, God, whatever it may be, you know exactly where every person's at with our heart and our mindset. And I pray that you would help us all, God, to hear your word and to not just be hearers of that word, but to be doers of that word so that we can live a life that echoes in eternity and say yes to greater kingdom things in Jesus' name.